You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Y'all, welcome to another episode of Clapback Culture. I'm Jules Jesse, alongside my co-host with the most, Amari Salisbury. What's up, O? Hey, hey, Julia, what's happening, man? It's good to be back. How you been? Man, I've been great. I've been busy, um, but mm. I guess that's, they say that's good. I'd rather be busy than no opportunities flowing my way. So I've really, man, I've been in these trenches lately, just like trying to get it done. You know, this baby growing in my belly. So I just been working overtime, double time, triple time, trying to get it in. Mm, well, ain't nothing wrong with that. I know you're on the clock now. Period. Period. <laughs> still. Get it done now. Or your life's going to be forever changed in a little bit. Man. And, and you know, that's literally my thought all the time. Like when I sleep in late, I'm like, remember these moments. Mm. Remember these moments of being able to sleep in. <laughs> 100%. <sighs> Look, y'all, welcome to the show. I see you guys already pulling up in the comments. I'm so glad you want to spend your Thursday night with me. So what's up, fam bam? Uh, without further ado, I got a good show for us tonight, so we might as well jump right into it. Let's get it. Uh, so look, we know that Hurricane Ian struck the, su the southern coast of Florida and really took out a lot of things. And what we're seeing out of that is bipartisan support. So President Biden visited the storm-stricken community in Southwest Florida this week. And during the tour of the damage from the hurricane, he started pledging billions of dollars for recovery relief. And he's doing it up for your boy, Ron DeSantis, and saying, I think he's done a good job. And while saying that in his remarks, he also said, we have very different political philosophies, but we've worked hard, okay? And we're working together in dealing with this crisis. And, you know, we're going to work together to make it happen. Both men have seen, you know, seen, you know, like they're on the same page, like they're on the same team with this. Um, and it also doubles down on President Biden's uh, remarks that he's going to calm the tensions and really work across the aisle. So there is some political news in that. I'm glad to see this. Uh, you know, <laughs> DeSantis might be putting a busload of migrants uh, to Delaware soon after this. But I think right now they're on the same page to making sure that Floridians get that help that they need, that disaster relief that they need. So uh, good for both of them. You know, I will say this. It's not hard to get along when you basically have access to unlimited taxpayer funds and you're able to divvy them up. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. you know, it's, it's kind of easy to get along, right? It isn't, it isn't like, oh, okay, here's this small bucket of funds that's very limited. And now, you know, DeSantis has an idea how to distribute them and FEMA has an idea or whatever. I mean, these guys, man, disasters, we print money. That's like the easiest come up ever. You sit there, smile, kiss babies, everything, because it's like the pot is huge. No need to argue, right? Well, at least that's how I see it. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, let us know what you guys think about this in the comments. I am glad to see that, you know, people are playing nice for now. Um, but, true. you know, it is what it is. To your point, when the bag is heavy, everybody gets along well. 
but the bag is not so heavy for some of us, Omari, and I'm really super feeling some type of way. So you guys know in August, I announced to you guys uh, that the Biden-Harris administration rolled out this huge student debt relief plan, okay? And it was supposed to help uh, low and middle-class families uh, you know, with student loan forgiveness, like 10000 up to $20,000. Okay, well, there was some quiet reversals that happened that nobody knew about. Um, and really, I couldn't even find it anywhere else but NPR, you guys. And NPR is such a credible source. And they are reporting that in a remarkable reversal that will affect the fortunes of many borrowers, the U.S. Department of Education has quietly changed its guidance around who qualifies for this sweeping debt relief plan. At the center of the change are borrowers who took out federal student loans many years ago, like so the year is 2010, my graduate year. So 2010 and back, you may not be eligible for student loan debt forgiveness. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, that means us, so bro. They're just forgiven for what the last decade or something? And and this is this is the thing. There's zero explanation. Um it's so quiet. You know what I'm saying? It's so quiet. I went on the website today, you guys, and I suggest you go to studentaid.gov, studentaid.gov. Reach out to somebody for assistance, call that 888 number and see if you meet the qualifications because the guidance is saying this, as of September 29th, 2022, borrowers with federal student loans not held by ED can by the Department of Education cannot obtain one-time debt relief by consolidating those loans into direct loans. Okay, now we don't know what that means. Just like we didn't know what it meant when we signed these student loans, okay? Um, but the administration is telling NPR in a statement that roughly only 800,000 borrowers would now be excluded from relief. 800,000? I'm thinking my graduating class and the, the classes and the generations before that are not going to qualify for this. So it's still very unclear why the department reversed its decision on allowing this to go across the board for everybody, but they're not allowing uh, some borrowers who have these like Perkins loans and some of these other loans that are not within this certain borrower's bank uh, to qualify. So we may not be able to have this relief. This is some BS. <laughs> I mean. So they're saying it, only 800,000 people would qualify or something like that? They're only saying that this would affect 800,000 borrowers, but I don't believe that. There's no way. Nah, there's more than that, man. It's millions. These guys, I mean, but this is what I'm saying, though. This is like, it's government, man. You yeah. already know it's 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 always the bait and switch, you know. We've yeah. been we've been uh we've been hustled, hoodwinked, sham shackled, run amok, let astray again. Again. So I hope that more people push this out into the media so we can get a better explanation so that we can hear directly from the Biden Harris administration on what this really means for borrowers. But in the meantime, you guys go to studentaid.gov. Pull up, ask the Department of Education yourself on where you stand, because everybody's situation is individual. And so you do want to know how this impacts you. So 
I'll be doing that when I finally get some time over the weekend to see if I can get that $20,000 relief, which still wasn't enough to begin with. But I still want my 20K. How about y'all? <sighs> All right. I want to give you guys some updates on Brittany Griner. You know, her wife spoke out um, in her first interview since Brittany Griner was detained. And you guys, it is heartbreaking. OK, she sat down with Gail, honey. You know, she had to sit with the best of the best of them, honey. Um, but basically, she is now speaking out and giving us more insight on what Brittany Griner is really going through. So as you guys know, Brittany was detained on August 4th. So she's been locked up for, I mean, excuse me, back in February. She was sentenced on August the 4th to nine years in prison um, for possession of marijuana or, you know, the hashish oil, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, her lawyers are going back to court and they're arguing that the time that she got was excessive. Um, in that defendants that they have, you know, that the defendants before this have received um, sentences of average up to five years with a third of them being granted parole. So we're not really sure why Brittany is getting really this excessive amount of time. Well, Sherelle, her wife, is, like I said, has spoke out in her interview and it's really not good news. You know, it's heartbreaking. She's basically saying on its face, it seems like my wife is a hostage. Let's take a look at a clip from that interview. I mean, that's her life. When I look at the news and I don't know her, of course, and most people who are watching this don't know her, she looks very vulnerable to me in the tape. When you see her, what do you see? She's not herself. When I see her, she's not herself. I say she's strong because how are you still standing? Like, how are you still alive going through this? But BG's at her absolute weakest moment in life right now. She's very afraid about being left and forgotten in Russia or just completely used to the point of her detriment because she's like, you know, saying things to me like, my life just don't even matter no more. Is that what she said to you? Yeah. My life you know, doesn't like, matter. I feel like my life just doesn't matter. Like you guys, like y'all don't see me, like y'all don't see the need to get me back home. Um, am I just nothing? Like, and those are all valid emotions to feel. And I don't have answers for it, except the fact that your life matters to me. Mm, I feel Sherelle like all the way through and through you guys. This was more of like a 10 minute interview. You can go on YouTube and pull up the whole clip. I really encourage you guys to listen to the whole clip because there's really more information um, about um, BG. She affectionately calls her BG. Her friends and family call her BG. And I just I know exactly how she feels in this moment to be um, to know that your loved one is getting an unfair amount of time and that the law just is not balancing in the way that it should. And then there's this, you know, this feeling of like hopelessness because you can't do anything. And then you have this person on the other end that you love and care about the most in the world and there's nothing you can do for them. Um, and it's just, it's heartbreaking. And I, I really, you know, you look at Brittany and you think that she's able to kind of handle everything that comes at her. But when someone gets a nine year sentence and, and, I, and I've been there sitting in a courtroom when, when your loved one gets a nine, 10 year sentence, it's like your whole life is just washed away. 
Yeah, man. I mean, first of all, free BG, man. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, man, it's just the worst timing ever. Because, you know, now Putin, you know, he's talking about using his tactical nuclear weapons and all that. This shit is great. I mean, it's like her value keeps increasing, actually. You know what I'm saying? On the flip side, because the more these tensions keep going up over there with Russia and everything else, the more her value now goes up, you know, uh, as far as these guys trying to, to negotiate some kind of release to be able to get her out. But, I mean, the sentence is crazy. You know, and man, you know, has there been any kind of update that whole situation? They said it was going to go quiet and it was going to be quiet intentionally so people could work behind the scenes. But like, I mean, hearing the wife talk, it's like there's no progress. And that's kind of, you know, she didn't allude to that. And, l- and let me also mention to you guys that she also has a legal degree. And so this is somebody who understands the the law here in the United States and probably is looking into the laws there in Russia and has a pretty good understanding of how the judicial system should work in its entirety. Right. Um, And she does give kudos to President Biden and his administration saying that he is doing all that he can, um, but that the negotiation process is just slow. And so what's going to happen now is that if within two weeks, uh, BG doesn't um, win her appeal, she is going to transition over into a labor camp. And that is like the last thing they want to do because it's just absolutely disturbing and what can happen when she moves over to that labor camp. Um, I think you bring up such a valid point in that while she did commit a crime because medical marijuana is illegal in Russia, you know, BG's been going to Russia and playing in this league for the last eight years. So she's not a rookie to this. And she's been really a part of and looking forward to um, working with the UMMC over there in Russia and, and hooping over there and, and has fans and garnered support for a long time. And so it's really just this, this, this war that has her at its grips. And so there's no way that I'm ever looking at this case like she's not a hostage and, and in a hostage situation. I just can't imagine more of what she's going through. I mean, it's crazy. And for her to be a celebrity makes her probably feel even more vulnerable um, because it's like, who is there to just pick her up and grab her? The stakes are just so high. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely a hostage at this point. You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. She has a lot of value now to the Russians. And I think that they're going to I mean, one thing the Russians said for sure. Right. And we'll see what happens after this appeal. They said that they weren't really going to negotiate until there was a basis of negotiation, which means that she had to go to trial and be sentenced. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they came out with the sentence and now they're in their appeal window. So, I mean, if something is going to happen, it would happen when the uh, when they lose the appeal, which is like most likely going to happen. And then the Russian government is then at a position where they could bargain. Right. Because they were right. saying they're not going to do anything until she was sentenced. And then she got sentenced. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happened until then. You guys, let's all continue to uplift BG and her family. And, yeah. you know, I wish we could figure out how to write her and send her letters of support and just let her know, like, even 
us guys here at Converge are rooting for her and telling her to stay down and keep her head up. So look, you guys, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you guys about the controversy that is Denouncing Karen, a new documentary that's calling white women to the carpet about their internal racism. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. You're watching Clapback Culture. Community, it's been three years since we've been able to celebrate in person at our annual evening of choice. And this year at Axis and Pioneer Square on October 19th at 6 p.m., we will be back together again, celebrating our journey, healing towards justice. This past couple of years have been incredibly difficult for our young people and our community at large. And one thing that has become clear and absolutely true is there's one way forward that brings all of us together, and that's as we heal. And when our young people heal, they're truly able to become who it is they've been purposed to be. So on this evening, you'll hear stories of our young people, hear the evolution of our organization as we emphasize healing in our cause. And together, we will celebrate another year of impact and growth as we journey towards justice together. Again, it's at Access in Pioneer Square, 6 p.m. on October 19th. And live streaming will be available through YouTube at I Choose Winning. All right. That's dope. I really love Sean. I've seen him on the show plenty of times with Big O. So you guys don't want to miss that. Make sure you check out I Choose 180. All right, you guys. Like I was saying, the Denouncing Karen documentary is alarming and I cannot wait to watch the whole thing. The crystal is polished. The china is pristine. The candles are lit and the nice white lady guests are about to be served some cold hard truths, baby. And they're going to be served some hard truths by Regina Jackson and Saria Rio, who launched uh, a movement called Race to Dinner. Okay, the number two to dinner. Um, And this is a woman to inspire white women to confront themselves and acknowledge their own racism and and complicity in white supremacy. So there have been a lot of clips of the actual documentary that come out that have been flooding our timelines. Um, Let me know in the comments if you guys have seen any of these. And it's really about having these radical, honest conversations that em- that empower us to have and acknowledge these truths and really understand what is our personal undertaking and responsibility for stopping racism um, and doing harm to others. Uh, the dinner will remind you of your favorite childhood memory in playing the game Clue. So it's like a big deal. You never really know who is the most dangerous person in the room? Because while you might think it's the Donald Trump supporter, it actually can be that quiet liberal yoga teacher who is not ready to face their own reality. So this documentary is, you know, really being considered provocative, um, but it's having a really honest conversation about racism and our daily role in up, 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 upholding that. And I encourage everyone to check it out online, definitely YouTube it. It unfortunately is not available um, just at the ready. I think I saw um, a documentary, like a full version of the documentary, probably illegally on YouTube, but I encourage us to wait, you guys, to go see this at a film festival. They have it on their website and they're gonna be in the California area. They have some in Canada. So we are waiting for this to come to, you know, Seattle, to D.C., to the East Coast in general um, so that we can watch this. But until then, 
You don't want to miss the preview clips that are out there. I love this. And some of the questions they're asking, Omari, some of these women are, you know, the first question is, raise your hand if you're a racist. Of course, no one raises their hand. Second question they ask is, who would trade their white skin for black skin? And again, that is when the conversation starts boiling to the point where one Karen even says, well, you know, I don't, I just don't know because I only want to be myself, but I dated a Latin guy who had very dark skin. Honey, just associated with people with dark skin does not make you a non-racist person at your core. What are you talking about? So this is a special, special documentary that we should see. And I cannot wait to watch this. Yeah, you know, man, Seattle, unfortunately, man, Seattle is like that kind of city, right? I've been saying this for as long as we've been on air, that Seattle is the type of city that you have a, a, a pretty sizable white population. Well, you got a sizable white population that's just cool as hell. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I, don't t- I don't think they really get enough acknowledgement, right? Because we're always talking about what's wrong. We got we got a lot of dope, you know what I'm saying, white people who are out here. Um, but let's talk about the other ones. Is that, uh, you know, I say all the time, those are the people who are like, man, I voted for Barack. I got Michelle. I went, saw Michelle got her book, got it autographed. You know what I'm saying? Right. But they, they, they move against things that, you know, against black people. Um, and they're, they're really for, for policies that are anti-black and, you know, it's all cloaked. And, you know, another thing that they've, they've done is they've mastered our language. So you go and you'll really sit, you'll sit with a racist white person who's mastered this, this DEI language. You know what I'm saying? And so they're sitting there talking to you about, oh, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, equality and equity and yada, yada, yada. And then as soon as you leave the room, you know, they're not hiring no black people. They're not hiring this and that. But in the conversation, you're like, hey, man, like, man, Bob really gets it. You see what he was saying, right? You see what I'm saying? So they've yeah. mastered the language, the vernacular, the vocabulary, and ain't changed no actions. Yeah. You know what? I really feel blessed and and humbled to have been raised in a place as great as Seattle, because to your point, we have some of the most incredible white people that I ever met. And I appreciate having great white allies. And really, I think it's taught me to just be a better human overall by being in such a melting pot of cultures. Um, But it also taught me that just because I'm a white woman and have a black son does not mean that I'm going to stand in alignment with black issues. Um, And, you know, this, I think, is a great film to help everyone identify what that institution of racism really looks like and what is our own personal role and responsibility when we come a face to it. Right. So just because I paid five hundred dollars to go see Michelle Obama and I got her book signed, doesn't mean that you understand the plight of a woman like Sister Soldier, who is writing the coldest winter ever. You know what I'm saying? It's like, do you understand the story of winter just as much as you understand the story of Michelle? And there's a really interesting dichotomy in that because once you begin to understand someone like winter, a, a young black girl who is really just trying to find her own in the in the world, 
then you can you can have empathy. You can move to say, what can we do to bring winter up? Because a woman like Michelle Obama is already at the top, baby. You know what I'm saying? She is what every woman strives to be, at least, you know, for the most part. So what I'm saying is, is that we really want everyone to have the full picture. I think tonight here in the house, we were talking about, you know, um, Willie Lynch, right? And we were having a conversation on race and, and breaking a slave here in the house tonight because it's just so important for us to not ever forget our history and understand why we have these feelings of institutional racism and to know that they are real and that they are valid and that when we put in the work to dismantle them, that that work is not being done in vain. And so I love that there are people like Regina Jackson, okay, calling people to the carpet, baby. Watch out, Karen. <laughs> Your dinner is being served cold, okay? Yeah, I mean, it's real interesting, right? I, I like the whole idea and what they're doing and everything, right? And I think that for us, the, the biggest shift that we had in the last 12 months, probably less than that, 12 months, is where we've we've isolated ourselves from this madness out here with these other people. Like if it ain't black, you know, it's like so so us personally, I'm not, I'm not, I think this is dope, but the art is the art, and that's their approach, right? But for us, if we make a documentary or whatever. Man, I'm gonna be uplifting some black folks. I'm not spending my time trying to whatever. Man, these white people been doing what they've been doing. I'm, we we put Converge puts 100 percent of its focus now on blackness. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And unless there's some story down at City Hall, there's whatever, and you'll find. But also, what's happened is, is our programming's gotten better, our storytelling's gotten better, and everything else. And I only say that to say that it's like I realized that I could spend all my time down there at City Hall with these lying-ass politicians and everything else, yada, yada, and calling people out, or I could take that same energy and uplift these young people in our community. I could take that same one hour that I might be at City Hall, teach somebody how to use a camera, teach somebody how to do this and that. And so my take on this stuff now is a lot of stuff I'm indifferent because it no longer impacts our life here. You know what I'm saying? Because we just want the blackness. That being said, though, I'm glad she's doing it. And it's dope. Yep. This is dope. And then Regina Jackson is a black woman um, alongside what I think is her. She's probably like Latino, another brown woman. But this moves straight into the next two topics that I want to talk to you guys about. And Will Smith, he is coming out with a new project post the Oscar slap, baby. This is his first jump. And it is a movie called Emancipation. Um, he posted the powerful trailer of this slavery movie. I know some people don't like slave movies. I'm not one of those people, but he plays a slave who embarks on a perilous journey to reunite with his family. Um, and this film is inspired by a true story. So we have the trailer. Let's take a look and we'll come back and we'll talk about it. I heard it myself. Slaves are free. Sazu. Lincoln. 
must get to Bengal's army. Five days through this swamp. There are many ways to die in a swamp. There are many ways to die here. I will not be afraid. What can a mere man do to me? Follow the sound of Lincoln's cannons. My family is with me forever. I will look in triumph at my enemies. All right, Apple TV um, subscribers, this is coming out in the early December, December 2nd. Um, and it's going to be on limit or excuse me, December 3rd, but limited release in theaters on December 2nd. Uh, so what do you guys think? I mean, this film was said to have a hundred and twenty million dollar budget, um, which is huge. And is this his comeback film? I mean, of all films to come back with, I mean, you're coming back with emancipation and enslaved person who escaped Louisiana and joined, you know, the Union Army. I don't know. I mean, I'm interested to watch it. If, you know, based on the timeline, critics are saying that he would be eligible uh, to receive an Oscar nomination for this season. Man. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, first of all, I don't really be going and seeing these movies, man. These movies, white people need to go see these movies. The CRT, the Dyers, and all this historical. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of times, you we left affected. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like glory, like glory. You know, on the surface was dope, but you know, in the last scene, man, they go there and then they all die at the once you go there, you're left like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, I mean, you know, it's. Anyways, I, I had a, a shift in consciousness a few years ago where it's a lot of stuff. It was just like the movie that came out about, um, you know, the the Central Park Five. Right. I think that's what they had out the whole movie about them wrongly accused people like, oh, man, you need to watch it. No, I don't. Well, I need to traumatize myself, you know. And so, like, I saw uh, um, what is it? Um, um, Woman King. King woman, woman king, woman king, woman king. I saw that. I saw that with my daughter the other day. And the historical side of that, you know, it's like you know, it's just more of a history kind of movie mm -hmm. or whatever. But it's like I be real, I be real um, cautious of what images of of black, you know what I'm saying, and abuse and things like that. I put into my subconscious. Like I want to see Emmett Till. I want to see Till because she said that in that whole movie, there's not one act of violence against a black person, you know, like portrayed on screen. Of course, Emmett Till is murdered, but you know what I'm saying? And so she's like, it's a different experience for black people because, you know, going and watching something and seeing black people like watching Woman King. I was man, that shit hurt me to my core. You know what I'm I saying? Haven't, I haven't watched it yet. 
oh man, I mean, it's a good film, but it's something about us seeing ourselves in the absolute lowest common denominator up there on the big screen that does something to our subconscious. So that's just on that side, on this, on the on the whole movie side, man, and everything else. Man, I'm glad Will Smith, you know, he keeps working. You know what I'm saying, man? Will Smith ain't done a tenth of the things these people in Hollywood done. That Man, he was wrong for slapping this man on, on during the awards. But, man, Hollywood is so greasy and grimy, and these guys stay working. And what, you you going to lock Will Smith out? Man, I hope the movie does well in that sense. I agree in that. I do love that Will Smith is like, you know what? I'm not going to let this situation keep me down. He already did his due diligence and apologized. Now that's between him and that man. And I'm keep I'm staying out of it. It's not none of my business no more. I will be participating in the film and watching. Um, I do have a subscription to Apple TV, honey. So I'll be watching it um, because I am always, um, I guess, fascinated by the remaking. And I do want to see the depiction of history. But to your point, I mean, we do need to uh, keep a measure on how much trauma that we do allow uh, to come through our screens. You know, my grandma used to always say the devil is right there. You know, it can come through the TV. So you do got to be careful on how much, you know, you do watch in this sense. So I do hope people go out and support this film. Um, You know, I'm not saying it needs to win an Oscar, but we'll see. I hate when Will Smith does a different uh, accent, too. He just never to me, it never sounds that good. It always sounds kind of cheesy. You heard it in the trailer, right? I just, I, that's not a thing. It's not a thing. All right. On the issue of race, I want to continue on this, Amari. Um, a football team was suspended for having a mock slave auction. I don't know what the hell is wrong with these kids, but it's a California high school. And I'm going to show you guys a clip, but they have to forfeit their season, the rest of their varsity football season. Um, after some players were captured on video appearing to act out a slave auction of their black teammates. Let's take a look. Folks in California, high school football team season gets canceled after a video of some players conducting a slave auction goes viral. Watch this. This happened at River Valley High School in Yuba City, California. Some football team members participated in the prank auction of black teammates. School district officials saw the video and the Yuba City Unified School District Superintendent Doreen Osumi called the video unacceptable and deeply offensive. Osumi released the following statement following discussions with the students who were involved in the unfortunate and extremely distressing incident at River Valley High School. I can confirm that those who participated will not be playing the rest of the season. They violated our student athlete code of conduct, which they all signed and committed to follow. And that will not be ignored or minimized. As a result, we do not have the necessary number of players to safely field the varsity team and must thus forfeit the remainder of the season. The junior varsity team will continue with their season and sophomores and juniors from the varsity team can join the junior varsity team to finish their season reenacting a slave sale as a prank tells us that we have a great deal of work to do with our students so they can distinguish between intent and impact. They may have thought this skit was funny, but it is not. It is unacceptable and requires us to look honestly and deeply at issues of systemic racism. We know that corrective action may be required in accordance with policy, but it is education, honest, open discussions and instruction that will guide our students to realize that their choices and actions have consequences. 
At this time, the district and site administration are working to earnestly to identify lessons and programs to help our student body learn from this situation. When students find humor in something that is so deeply offensive, it tells me that we have an opportunity to help them expand their mindset to be more aware, thoughtful, and considerate of. You guys, I thought that the administrator's tone and statement was absolutely on point and it hit all the right notes. And in terms of what to do with these students, um, I had a conversation with April, my 15 year old 10th grader, and I had to ask her, what does this mean? Like, what does this mean in your generation? And like, how does this show up, you know, in high school? Because here I am, a 34 year old woman. And, you know, I'm, you know, thinking about what is the generation behind me think about or understand the impact of race and slavery and our history? And why is it that black and brown boys in a football locker room, because ain't a white person in that room, playing around having a slave auction? So while we are all deeply disturbed as adults, these kids are filming themselves. Like they think this shit is funny. You know what I'm saying? Like they absolutely think this is funny. They're looking to have a viral moment. They're willing to show this on the internet. They shared it with themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like this wasn't a teacher or somebody walked in on them. They shared this because they have literally no idea what this truly means in their generation. And so I think that the administrator really hit the right note in saying that we have a lot of work to do and we have consistently downplayed history and whitewashed it. And that not only are we not teaching it in schools, but we're not teaching it at home. Um, and I see Harry Jefferson put in the comments that, you know, today was such a, tra or this was such a tragedy when, when they heard about it, that he took the opportunity to teach his child about slavery. Um, and it's not just slavery, right? Like it's the institution of racism and how we got here and how and why we are here today. Um, this is crazy and we cannot give these kids a pass on this and slap them on the wrist. You know, we have to continue to tell these stories so that they don't continue to make light of the situation. Yeah, it's the West Coast too, man. California, yeah. huh? A super li like these are liberal kids. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm glad that the who was that the uh, the whoever the administrator was there at the school board was like, yeah, this is. I mean, that's not all right. And I'd be wondering, like, I mean, man, I know my kids they ain't perfect, and I, you know, who knows what they all they was doing in high school. I wasn't there every moment, but like, that's something my kids wouldn't do. You know what I'm saying? I just be wondering, like, I mean, so much stuff really do come from home, though. Some Hell stuff yeah. just gets out of control. They see it on TikTok or whatever. But a lot of stuff, man, the, the fundamentals of it come from home. Like, there's no way my kids would ever make light or joke about a slave auction. Ever. Like, Never. 100% on that. So you got to wonder, like, man, what's, what's really coming out the homes? Well, and I'm glad you brought that point up because when I first saw this, I asked April and I said, would you ever do anything like this? And she said, absolutely not. And so, you know, you need to quiz your kids and like and see where they stand on this kind of stuff, because if we're not having the conversation at home and taking the time out 
to teach our kids, the generation behind us, that is going to be the generation that we, you know, that takes over for us, then what are like, what are we doing? Like we have to infuse capital into our kids because if we don't tell them who they really are, someone can tell them who they are. And the idea that slavery and the slave auction is a joke is incredibly disturbing. It's disgusting. It's dangerous to think about that slaves were raped, beaten, murdered, um, tortured, Um, you know, some, you know, even I just think about the slave quarters, even, you know, post emancipation or people didn't even know they were free when, when slave owners couldn't even take care of their slaves where they're dying from starvation, they're dying from disease and injury, and they're just, they're rotting. These are human beings that were told that they were animals, um, that, you know, there's, uh, a gener that this is generations of 400 years of a toxic cycle that is still rearing its head today that we have to have documentaries like denouncing Karen so that we understand that while we're not here to apply that white guilt, we have to understand that our ancestors created a foundation that is still not dissolved today. So we have to do better as parents. We got to do better as a community and take your kid's phone. You know what I'm saying? Have these, have these conversations and let them know like that better not be you, you know, let us not just see this stuff on social media and then not come back and have a conversation with our kids about it. You know, this, and not have a conversation on our group chats. Like we need to be the friends that are encouraging other friends to say like, you need to be talking to your kids about this. You know, let's let's make sure we bring this up in a roundtable conversation. Have a conversation in front of your kids about this, you know. And so uh, I um, I think, again, the administrator hit the right notes on this. And I I hope to see a seriousness really taking with the kids because this is embarrassing. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm sorry, with them kids, but hey, uh, r- real quick before the next uh, next topic, big shout out Darnell Hibbler. I see he's there in the comments, but I saw Darnell earlier today up on Union, 23rd Union. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Darnell, a lot of love. Yeah, shout out to Darnell. He actually sent me this story. So Darnell, keep sending the stories in, brother. We appreciate you, and we're so glad to have you as a consistent viewer um you know i always try to take heed to what people want to talk about and what they want to put up so this is one of those things to talk about all right well we're moving into the same thing let's take a quick break but when we come back kanye west has models and himself wearing white lives matter t-shirts on a paris runway let's talk about it when we come back you're watching clapback culture All right. So this week at a Paris fashion show, Kanye West, or Ye, as he wants to now be called, um, wore a shirt with the phrase White Lives Matter on the back of it. Um, Alongside him, conservative commentator Candace Owens, we all know and hate her, um, who also wore the same shirt in white. You guys, let's take a look at the at the footage. Let's just see. Come on. This shirt sparked a lot of backlash from both fans and other celebrities. And Kanye West appears to be sticking by his decision to wear the shirt. But we spoke with the co-founder of Black Lives Matter LA, and she says the shirt is harmful. 
Tonight, a firestorm of controversy for Kanye West because of this photo taken at his Paris fashion show. Ye and conservative commentator Candace Owens wore shirts with the phrase White Lives Matter on the back, a phrase activists say is harmful and has been used by white supremacist groups. It absolutely feels like a stunt. He knows better. Um, and if he doesn't know better, or if Candace Owens doesn't know better, um, they need to be called in. And Melina Abdullah, the co-founder of BLM LA, says she did call them in. After seeing the photo, Abdullah tried contacting Kanye online. I released a statement and Black Lives Matter Grassroots released a statement, all seeking to call Kanye and even Candace Owens in and say, you know, we can help educate you. If you don't know, we want to familiarize you with the history of this country, of why we say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is really a rallying cry to end state-sanctioned violence against Black people. Kanye took to Instagram to respond to the backlash, saying, quote, everyone knows that Black Lives Matter was a scam. Now it's over. You're welcome. The statement that he put out um, basically forecasted the end of Black Lives Matter. I will say that we aren't going anywhere, regardless of how many t-shirts he puts on or prints or distributes, regardless of how many statements he puts out. TMZ founder Harvey Levin weighed in about Kanye's response. There are two things with BLM. One is the organization and the second is the movement. The problem is Kanye didn't distinguish between the two and it was unclear what exactly he was talking about. The criticism against Kanye's apparel was echoed by contributing Vogue editor Gabriella Carifa John. All right, you guys, you can pull most of this up on the Internet, but... I did want to leave the last part in word from TMZ that Black Lives Matter is an organization and there's Black Lives Matter, the movement. And of course, we are still always going to support the movement. Um, But this is disgusting. It's disturbing. It's incredibly dangerous to have a platform of this size and be able to do this. And more importantly, like Kanye West is honestly just trolling. At this point, this is a huge marketing tactic. He even said so in some of his Instagram rants that, you know, uh, Fashion Week was a whole week, but everybody's talking about my T-shirt. So he knows how to garner um, that 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 uh, that pool from the media to make these headlines and, and good, bad or indifferent. He's going to do it. I mean, standing alongside someone like Candace Owens, who he continuously puts, you know, in his friend circle. It's disgusting. And I'm really glad that a lot of our black athletes and celebrities have finally come out. Even, you know, Vogue editor, uh, she came out and did it instead of statement. Her name is um, Karifa Johnson. She said that Kanye West's um, attack on her is, you know, unacceptable. Um, excuse me, this is Vogue who supported her and doubled down on what Karifa said, and they said that Kanye West's attacks of her is unacceptable. Now more than ever, voices like hers are needed. Um, And in a private meeting with Ye today, she once again spoke her truth in a way she felt best on her terms. And so he met with her um, and he met with Vogue magazine, who obviously he needs in his corner if he ever wants to have a fashion house. But this is just the kind of stuff that I'm no longer going to get behind. And you know what's crazy? 
before this happened, I put a bid in for a pair of Yeezys because when he made the decision that he was going to leave Gap and do his own thing away from Adidas and he was like, you know what? He was sounding like he was getting back to the old yay. I said, I'm going to support Kanye. I'm going to get my Yeezys. They're comfortable. They're really fly. Like, I'm going to finally get me a pair of Yeezys. But honestly, I'm I'm done. I'm not supporting this. I'm not supporting an additional troll on the internet who wants us to just be consumers, who calls us sheep for speaking out in injustice. Because Kanye, back in the day, you always talked about racial injustice. And when it serves you, you always talk about being a black man and how the world sees you as a black man, but yet you need this white affirmation. You need the affirmation of white people in order to feel successful. And so I'm good off Kanye. Like he, he he's an oppressor at this point. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Kanye is, yeah, I mean, dude's always seeking white validation. You know what I'm saying? Is it's consistent that he, he just he just be seeking validation from white people, man. You know, mm-hmm. it's cool. That's just that's what he is, is that's what he does. I mean, and you know, of course it's been they've been a master of PR. Like I told you pretty soon, him and Kim are getting ready to come to what a what a line of this and that direct to home. Watch. You know what I'm saying? Watch out for that. Um also, you know, he knows how to be able to take the story away from his wife. If need be, you see, ain't nobody talking about Kim. Ain't nobody talking about the tape. Ain't nobody talking about the settlement. Ain't nobody talking about nothing. Or talking about Kanye. You get what I'm saying? And you know, I mean, there's no links that he won't go through to actually be trolling, get media, and maybe deflect attention from his wife all in one shirt. Um, but yeah, it's you know, I mean, Kanye. Kanye's time. I, I'm just I'm thankful that I knew the Kanye that I do at that time. You know what I'm saying? It, Whoever this Kanye is for, I hope they're enjoying him. But yeah, I'm good. Yeah, um, I see a couple comments. Just, you know, one, Leon, I'm so glad that you reminded us of him saying George Bush does not care about black people because I totally forgot about that. And all the way down to now wearing a MAGA hat of Make America Great Again, standing alongside, you know, Candace Owens. And, you know, he's not in, in all of this. He is extremely violent on social media that I hope he also gets blocked from social media because on Instagram, what he does is, is that when he comes under fire, he starts going on this rant of attacks. And so during one of those rants of attacks, he's like, well, everybody wants to chime in about this T-shirt, but when everyone was tearing me down, a black man for actually, you know, having, you know, this need to see my kids and nobody wanted to help me see my kids, all my black friends, none of y'all would help me see my kids. No one would speak out about me seeing my kids. It's like, he takes any moment to bring the Kardashians back into it, that he's even claiming that the Kardashians kidnapped Chicago during a birthday party. When you also came out, Kanye, to say that wasn't true, that, you know, uh, the, the Kardashian sister, Chloe, came out and said, listen, you want to do this on social media? Not a problem. I'll come out on social media and say this. Stop tearing down Kimberly. You're going to leave my good sis alone. You know, you can come see your kids. That's not that's not even up for discussion. 
But don't use the Kardashian name when you're under attack, because any other time you're you're just, you know, I mean, any other time you're not saying anything. But now you're using it as a tool for deflection when people are saying you have no idea what the Black Lives Matter movement is, because if you did coming out with a T-shirt line like this, you would understand how dangerous it is that you have black kids, you know, that you are raising your kids in this kind of thought process. If I'm Kim Kardashian, honey, I know she's sitting in that big house thinking, why did I ever have four babies with this guy? Because he's just, he's so out of control. Like this is the worst baby daddy you can have. Like for real, like for real, (laughs) like, oh my God, as a celebrity, nah, it's, it's too much. It's just too much. Yeah. He's going to go to the well one too many times and he's going to find himself irrelevant in a lot of spaces, people, you know what I'm saying? This is the fastest way to actually lose your relevancy over time. I don't, I don't think Kanye is going to age well as far as his relevancy in the industry and with the people, you know, I don't see it. I, I don't see the longevity in, in what is yay anymore in this, but I do know that I will no longer be supporting his brand. Um, I am looking forward to the blackballing in this case because, you know, we we do need freedom of speech, right? We need that, but we also need to understand that violence and vitriol should also be condemned. Um, And so if we have somebody like Kanye or anybody else for this matter, because if Kanye West was white doing this, oh baby, listen, the, the, the cancel culture would have been all over his ass. So because he's black, he's getting a pass on this because people think it's just extremely ironic and they do understand that he is trolling. So with that being said, I think, you know, as as the president of the black culture, I am now saying I am no longer supporting Kanye West or gay or whatever this is. Um, but I pray for him. I hope that he continues. To are you, uh, are you you're going to use your draft pick to blacks would like to trade Kanye West for Tommy from power? Man, come on. <laughs> and actually, I don't even want Tommy because I heard Tommy's an asshole. So we'll figure out a better draft pick for him. Golly. Like, right. Come on. I, Kanye. We're done with you, brother. No longer, no longer a part of the culture. Amen. All right, y'all. Well, that's our show tonight. I mean, listen, I think that's enough. We didn't gave y'all a little. We gave you all the heat today. I appreciate all you guys pulling up in the comments tonight, sharing your thoughts on these meaningful topics. Until next week, Omari, where can they find you? Man, you know, you can find me everywhere like air. You you feel me? I'm all over the place. Uh, And in the physical space right here tomorrow, though, for everybody who's over there in eastern Washington watching in the 509, tomorrow me and Basa Gordon, Brady McAtee, we're going to be at Terrain, uh, the new Terrain, the art show over in Spokane. On on social media, though, you can find me at Omari Saul, O-M-A-R-I-S-A-L. Dope, dope. You guys got a lot of cool stuff coming up. All right. Well, again, I cannot thank you guys enough for pulling up to Clapback Culture. Leon, Brooke, um, Anari, Harry Jefferson, Darnell, Irene. I see y'all in the comments, you guys, and everybody else who's watching who just may not have had a chance to comment. This is what keeps us going. This is what keeps the show rolling. Please pull up every Thursday night so that we can come and talk about your favorite topics. Until then, you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Treasure of J-U-L-E-S. 
Send me show topics. Let me know what you want to talk about. Until then, I'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.